Our reading this morning comes from Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, reading verses 47 to 65. Luke 22, verses 47 to 65, and I'm reading from the NIV. Jesus arrested. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus asked him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? When Jesus' followers saw what was going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. But Jesus answered, no more of this, and he touched the man's ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard and the elders who had come for him, am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. Peter disowns Jesus. Then, seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard, they sat down together. Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter, and then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And then he went outside and wept bitterly. The guards mocked Jesus. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. Thank you, David. Thanks, team. Uh, as as a, the reading was being read again to me, I thought, um, and I've been wrestling with this through the week, there's so much in it uh, this week. There's so much that we could do. So I've tried to focus in on one thing so we're not here all afternoon, So, um, which is good. I don't think it's a secret anymore um, to, to you or to myself that I love chocolate. Easter's a good time for me because it's chocolate everywhere. And it's just, uh, when I say a good time, it's probably not a good time. It's probably a really bad time for me. But for me, I love chocolate. But when I was younger, mum used to keep the, the chocolate buds in the cupboard. So everyone has chocolate buds for your baking. Mum used to keep them in the cupboard. And it was sort of at sort of nine, ten-year-old, I was just at the height to be able to grab those chocolate buds. So when the packet was open, I, would, I, would, I, I wouldn't open them. That, that, that was too much of a clue that um, I was sneaking chocolate buds out. But when they were open, oh, oh no, maybe this is why I couldn't get into them as a kid. Here we go. Oh, there we go. When they were open, if you, if you just took like two or three chocolate buds, no one would know. 
So I just go in there and take two or three chocolate bars, and no one would know. I hope Mum's not watching. Maybe. Sorry, Mum. Um, but the problem was they didn't go anywhere. The chocolate buds were still in the cupboard. So as I'd go past, a couple more, no one will know. And, and I keep on going more and more chocolate buds. So the biggest problem was that a few less buds won't make a big dent in the bag, but the 13 or 14 times that I went back every 20 minutes was a big problem because all of a sudden the bag was just about empty and it was just the scraps that I couldn't get into without making too much noise. I thought I'd gotten away with it. I thought I'd be all right if I only took a few. But actually, I realised that I was going to get into big trouble as well, but I realised something else from that moment. A small sin can snowball into something very big. Justifying the small stuff can often lead to getting ourselves into a world of pain. A couple of chocolate buds, no one's going to know. But an empty packet, mum is going to definitely know. And I'm not just talking about chocolate, am I? It's the small white lie that we justify to get out of trouble. It's keeping the change that was rightfully someone else's. Talking about someone behind their back so that you get a better look in at a promotion or, or something like that. It only needs to be subtle, those subtleties, but it can be very significant. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, and that is the stark reality. We're all sinners in need of a saviour. Yet we can justify, if we're not careful, our small actions as sinners, they're not too bad. At least I haven't embezzled money or I haven't got anyone fired unfairly. Yet sin is sin. And the definition of sin is that we actually turn our back on God. And Scripture says that we've all done that, each and every one of us. And that means we're separated from God. We fall short of God's standard. However, we know the great hope of the gospel. This good news is that when we understand the weight of our sin, when we comprehend the depth of the separation that sin causes between us and God, it's only then that we can be totally overwhelmed by the grace that is offered from God through this Easter message. So we hear a story about a kiss, about an ear being chopped off, and about a rooster crowing. And today, we're going to explore the consequence of sin. In the two readings we've heard, we find two men who have followed Jesus closer than everyone else, apart from the other ten, and both of them, in these two readings, have chosen to turn their back on Jesus and having to deal with the consequences of their actions. Yet through their story, we see when the rooster crows, our brokenness can actually be revealed and our response can make an impact on the kingdom through us. You know, Judas, his response was one of regret. His regret led to a very human action of, I'm going to try and fix it. I'll give the money back. And it ended up with Judas's death. Peter's response was remorse. He wept. And we hear of him weeping when the rooster, the rooster crowed. The chocolate, yes. Have to have some more. <laughs> the rooster crows. And, and the realization that, that, that Peter had done something 
that he would ever wanted to do. Yet he was willing to work on it, to change. And he went on to be the rock of the church, wasn't he? So we're going to explore those two characters a little bit today and see how their story intersects with our story. And when the rooster calls out our sin, when the rooster calls out the stuff that we do that makes us walk away from God, remember that God's grace actually leads us to greatness for his kingdom. Let's pray and get into the text. Our Lord, this morning as we think about this uh, text, there's so much in it. Lord, help us to uh, understand your grace, your goodness. And help us to understand the word that you're bringing to us. And may it seep into our lives in new ways. Amen. So the first part of our text uh, comes from, uh, we're talking about, we look at Judas. And at the start of chapter 22, we hear of Judas agreeing to betray Jesus after Satan, says Satan entered him. And he succumbs and he makes a deal with the chief priests. Judas succumbed to the temptation of money, something that he'd already been wrestling with earlier on in the scriptures. He watched Mary pour a year's worth of oil over Jesus in his feet. In John 12, it says, One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, the same Judas we're talking about, who was later to betray him, he objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wage. And Judas's response, it sounds reasonable, doesn't it? It sounds reasonable. That's a lot of money being poured over Jesus' feet. Why waste such an expensive jar of perfume? We could do something like give it to the poor. But John, in, in his gospel, expands on Jesus' character there and gives us a glimpse of where Jesus' heart, Judas's heart is already. Verse 6, it says, He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag... He used to help himself to what was put in it. We hear a little bit about Judas coming through. Jesus condemns him also. He says, leave her alone. Don't you know what she's doing here? Don't you know that she's preparing me? And Jesus starts to hit at Judas' greed, his selfish ambition. So coming back into chapter 22 of Luke, we have Judas, who's agreed to betray Jesus for 30 silver coins. Now, you'd be thinking that the person, that betraying the person that you follow for three years, it's going to have to be worth your money, worth the money, isn't it? And you think it, it, it'd have to be worth a decent fortune. But unfortunately, the 30 uh, coins, silver coins, actually equates to probably in our currency, two or $300. It wasn't a whole lot of money. It wasn't a lot. It might have been for, for Judas at the time, but... But it wasn't, it wasn't riches. It wasn't something that was going to uh, keep in a nest egg for the rest of his life. But maybe it was just the drawer of the money. Perhaps Judas had already felt really hard done by or disagreed with the, the way Jesus was headed or, or that he, he sort of saw, I'm, I don't think he's going to come in and, and be the leader that we expect him to and, and take over this Roman rule. Maybe he didn't agree with how Jesus was living out the mission of God. Whatever it was, Judas made up his mind, I'm going to do this thing. But I know if someone was out to betray me in some sort of way, I'd not like it to be done in the way that Judas did it to Jesus. Luke's gospel tell us, tells us that Judas approached Jesus to give him a kiss. Matthew and Mark's gospel actually say that Judas kissed him. 
Whichever way it happened, the intent was there. A show or an action of affection that displayed betrayal. The Greek word that's translated to kiss is the same word of to love. So this gesture of love leads to the most horrendous betrayal. And I love Jesus' response in Gospels, uh, the Luke's, Luke's Gospel. In verse 48, it says, Jesus, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Would you show this sign of affection to betray me? I sort of see it as Jesus' last-ditch effort to allow Judas to maybe change his mind. Judas, I'm giving you another chance. I think it's also a little bit of Jesus accepting this is what's going to happen. He's been in the garden just before that, asking, if this cup be taken from me, and then this final action of Judas, it, it basically says to Jesus, okay, the cup's not coming away. So Judas, he was calculated in how he betrayed Jesus. He made the decision. He set out the plan, and even Jesus' final words to him could not break this bond of sin, the stranglehold that Satan had over him. He turned his back now on God and walked a different direction. I wonder if you've seen that before. Where the stranglehold of sin is so encompassing either on your life or on someone else's life that you do the same thing again and again and again. And what once you saw as this horrendous sin that you think, oh, well, I can't do that, it's all of a sudden become part of your life. Sometimes we even call it cultural now. It's the culture today. Or you've watched a loved one or a friend move away from their walk with Jesus altogether because they've moved closer to a friendship with sin. Judas, he was calculated, and he calculated his way to betrayal, and it ended up with separation from God, ended up with death. But there's hope, because there's another part of the story where Peter steps in. Peter, he betrays Jesus also by his denial. Yet Peter's actions are more about impulse, aren't they? It's not about a calculated denial. I'm going to do this. We see Peter step into the situation when the soldiers come to take Jesus after, after his betrayal. And I love Peter's impulsion. In verse 49 it says, When, the followers of, when Jesus' followers saw what was going, going to happen, they said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? Questions generally wait for responses, don't they? Generally. Like, like should, I, should I eat the chocolate? <laughs> But they wait for responses, so, and then you generally take, feed off the responses. Not Peter. So he's asked a question, and we know it's, we, we, the other Gospels say it's Peter doing this. Luke doesn't say it's Peter. Um, it, it's sort of Peter's like the nervous swimmer. On the blocks, on the blocks, on the blocks, go, and then the gun goes. It's like that, like, I've got to go. <laughs> he doesn't wait for the answer. Instead, he gets the sword and just starts swinging, doesn't he? And he slices the ear off this soldier. Now, I wonder if Peter missed I don't know if you've thought that. I wonder if Peter missed and he just, just, only just clipped it. I wonder if he tried to do something else. We don't know. But maybe he was really, really good. Because I think in aiming for an ear is probably a really good shot if you can get it. But anyway, uh, whatever it is, um, Peter just went for it. He didn't wait for a response. He didn't do it. It was the impulse of Peter. But can you imagine what the scene was like? It would have been chaos. An ear on the floor, blood everywhere, screaming, accusations, more reason now for these, uh, these religious leaders to come and take Jesus. In the whole situation, Jesus 
remains totally calm. Totally calm. He picks up the ear and heals the poor soldier. I wonder what impact that would have had on the soldier. As he's walking away, sort of feeling the blood, but all of a sudden his ears back. I wonder how he was feeling. I wonder what his thoughts were. This impulsive action of Peter, it was faithful yet reckless. Jesus knew it. He knew it as, as he called Peter out onto the water, come off the boat and walk to me. And as Peter faithfully stepped out, the first step, it's pretty solid. Second step, hey, this is, this is good. Oh, no. And then all of a sudden, his eyes departed from Jesus and he started sinking. As Jesus washes the disciples' feet, Peter brazenly asks, hey, Jesus, wash all of me. Not quite understanding the greatest significance of the humble action of Jesus. And earlier in Luke 22, uh, he, Peter declares, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. We find that in Luke 22, 33. But his impulsive faithfulness results in an ultimate act of betrayal that Jesus identifies. And he says this in Luke 22, 34. I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that you know me. Peter was faithful, but Peter was fallible. So we've got these two men, both followers of Jesus, both in their own way betrayed Jesus. It would be easy for us to say today that Judas was worse. <laughs> he calculated it. He got money to do something, and it led to the death of Jesus. At least Peter didn't do that. At least Peter didn't go that far. But once again, the nature of sin is that all have sinned, and we're all in the same boat. All have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 takes it one step further. For the wages, the consequence, the price of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The penalty, what Judas, what Peter, what I deserve is death because of turning our back on God. Death here doesn't mean physical death, although that was Judas's fate. Rather, it was that separation from God, something much worse. But we can't miss this. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. This gift, through the death that, that Judas's betrayal sort of set into motion, it, it's the, the gift that no longer separates us from God. How ironic that the kiss that sealed the fate of Jesus opened his arms to, a work, to the world on a cross and brought us forgiveness. A forgiveness that we could not get on our own. So both Peter and Judas, they deserved death. They deserved that separation from a holy God. And the reality is, that's what you and I deserve as well. But the grace of God says otherwise. And that's what we'll journey through next week. We can learn a few lessons this morning about, uh, from the aftermath of the betrayals of these two men. So we're going to learn three things. The first thing we're going to learn is, Jesus knows your sin-filled steps. 
Jesus knows your sin-filled steps, yet he continues to offer us a way out. One part of this story that I've been sort of taken with is how Jesus reacts when he sees Judas coming towards him. Jesus, he doesn't run. He doesn't sort of get into fight mode like Peter does. He, he asks Judas a question. Are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? I like to imagine that Jesus is keeping his cool and that when Jesus comes forward, Jesus offers this one last-ditch effort to change his mind. Even to the very last minute, Jesus looked at Judas and loved him. Loved him enough to say, you can change your mind. Regardless of your actions now, I'm going to still love you. Now, this might not be historically accurate. We don't know this. But I like to imagine that as Judas leans in to betray Jesus with a kiss, that Jesus sort of grabs him and Jesus embraces him and draws him close in an embrace that says, I know what's going on and I still love you. Can you imagine that embrace that Jesus gives you when you stumble again and you stumble again? When you stumble again in how you speak about another. Can you imagine the embrace of Jesus when you once again promise that you'll no longer lie? You'll no longer gossip. Lord, I'm not going to cheat anymore. I'm not going to steal anymore. Can you imagine the embrace of Jesus that says, I still love you. You know, we're all sinners. We're all fallen short of God's standard. However, Jesus offers us this embrace that reminds us that our sin does not define us. Our sin doesn't define us. Judas, he didn't listen to Jesus. And his way ended with guilt, with remorse, and he wasn't able to reconcile that. Peter also didn't really listen to Jesus. He was given three chances, wasn't he? The first denial should have brought Jesus' word flooding back. Oh, Weren't you with him? No, no, that wasn't me. Oh, Jesus said something about this. I better take note. <laughs> the rooster, I better do not do two more before the rooster grows. Then the second denial comes. Surely that was a catalyst for Peter then to go, yeah, I've done it twice. Jesus said three. I'm, I'm really going to, maybe I should get out of here. Or what, what should I do? Yet the third denial comes and the rooster crows. And the stark reality of Peter, Peter's sin hits him. I've just turned my back. On my Jesus. And we see Peter's response. He wept bitterly. I don't blame Peter for his response. The moment was tense. He'd, he'd followed Jesus. The other disciples had fled, and he still followed Jesus. He wanted to be close to Jesus. It was a politically tough time. If, if he had said, yeah, I was, he might have been in there with Jesus. It was a vulnerable place to be. His, his impetuous nature sort of kicked in and he was left weeping in his folly. Jesus offered Judas a way out. You don't need to do this. You can do it. You don't need to do it at all. Peter, remember what I'm saying. Listen to my words. Yet the rooster still crowed. I wonder when you heard the rooster's crow last. When you were left feeling that remorse, I've done it again, Lord, and I'm sorry. The second thing we can learn is if we don't understand our sin, we won't fully understand the immense grace 
of God. Today is Palm Sunday, and Corinne, thank you for putting, was it Corinne or Joe, put together this beautiful um, sort of palms. Uh, Luke talked about the jackets. We, we spoke about Palm Sunday about probably six or seven weeks ago uh, as we led into, we've been preaching through Luke and led into this, uh, this series. Uh, starting on Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and uh, that's where we sort of started our series. And we'll finish it just after Easter. Um, but we, we saw Jesus coming in on the donkey, this hum, humble king. And as we explored this passage, we explored Jesus' interaction with all these religious leaders who have now, he caused a stir within, the, the, within Jerusalem, didn't he? And within the confines of one week, so this is a time span of one, we've done it over the sort of seven or eight weeks, but within the, the confines of this one week, we've got Judas, who was travelling with him, making plans now to betray him and carrying out those plans. We have Peter who's proclaiming that he'll die with Jesus. I'll go to prison with you and I'll die with you. Then denying ever even knowing him. We have a crowd that shouted, Hosanna, who are now clearing their throats, ready to say, crucify. What a turnaround. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. We in one breath proclaim Christ as our king and then maybe through our actions put him on the cross. Peter more than anyone understood this. He understood once the rooster crowed, he knew that his denial had already been foretold. He wept bitterly because he knew he turned his back on Jesus. He understood the depth of his sin. See, when we understand what the nature of sin is, it separates us from God. It's only then that we're able to understand the immense grace that God has offered us through Jesus Christ. There's the old hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. I love the line, I balk at it, but I love the line. It says, it was my sin that held him there. Meaning that it's because of my sin that, that Jesus died that held him on the cross. My sin that he bore on himself kept him attached to the cross. I might as well have hammered the nails. What a cost. Yet because of the cost, my denial, my wayward heart, my rejection, he hung there. He hung there for me. He took my penalty. The weight hits me when I think about that. I wonder if it hits you as well. Because it isn't until we fully understand this that we can understand the grace that God has given to each and every one of us. That although it was my sin that held him there, it was also my sin that was wiped away on the cross. It was my sin that was taken. I no longer need to feel the burden of it. Understanding the depth of forgiveness that God offers each and every one of us is the first point to understanding God's grace. And it leads us to the third point. When we understand God's grace in that extent, at least the fulfillment of God's mission. Peter knew his sin. He wept bitterly because of it. Yet Peter didn't stay in the place of weeping or self-loathing or pity. Peter lived into the promise of Jesus. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, On this rock I will build my church, 
I'm sure on Peter's denial day, he didn't feel like that. Yet, yet move forward and on the day of Pentecost, who is it that boldly addresses a crowd? It's Peter. He stands up and he shares about Jesus, the Messiah. And it was on this day that 3,000 people heard, accepted the message of Christ and were baptised. Peter didn't live in his separation through sin. He accepted the grace of God and that led him into mission that God had in store for him. And it led him to be the rock of the church. We're all sinners saved by grace. That grace must spur us on, like Peter, to fulfill the mission of God in the world. What does that mean for us? Well, it starts by being Jesus' hands and feet in your neighbourhood, right where you are, being a point of difference in your workplace. When others are gossiping, you're not having any bar of it. Call it out by not being afraid to stand up at your school or your university or wherever you may be, down at the local cafe, to be counted as a follower of Jesus, regardless of any perceived consequence. See, God's mission needs God's people to understand the weight of their sin, to understand what it costs Jesus, and to live in the reality of the forgiveness that you've been given. I'll finish by going back to chocolate. Last year, I uh, was given an Easter bunny chocolate. This, not this one. I bought this one so that I can eat it later. <laughs> it was a crunchy one. I don't know if you've seen the crunchy ones. Um, one of the crunchy. I, I love crunchies. It's one of my favourite ones. But it was a crunchy one. But I've got a bit of a problem. It's sort of sat on a shelf next to my bed for a year. And I haven't eaten it. Can you believe that? I know you're all going, oh, that's unbelievable. But I haven't eaten it. What happened? What happened? Why haven't I eaten that Easter egg, that, that bunny? Well, I figure if I eat it, I won't have any bunny left. It'll be sitting there, and then it'll be gone, and I won't have a bunny. But at least if I've got it sitting there, I've, I've got a bunny. I've got a chocolate bunny. Yeah, that's my weirdness going. It's the whole, you can't have your cake and eat it too sort of thing, isn't it? It's that whole thing of that. But the problem with keeping my chocolate bunny there is that it, it just, it's not doing anything. It's not fulfilling its purpose. Its purpose is to be in my belly, but it's not fulfilling its purpose. You know what? Judas followed in that as well. He didn't fulfill any purpose that he could have had, any influence that he could have had as one of the 12. He squandered it. He kept the bunny sitting on the shelf. Peter, he took the hard journey of understanding his sin. He wept over it. He accepted God's grace. He moved on. He took his bunny and he ate it. He started sharing it with the world. God wants the same for us that we may be assured that we are sinners saved by grace, equipped to share God's mission together in the world. Don't let the rooster crow and not be changed. Let's pray. Our Lord and God, we thank you for your word that challenges us, a word that makes us realise our plight. And God, without you, without your son Jesus, that plight looks pretty messy. Lord, I want to pray that this morning, if there's anyone here, anyone online, that has a sense that they need Jesus afresh in their lives today, that, Lord, you will, you will be with them, you will embrace them, you will touch them. That, God, that they will know the reality of who you are, that you are their saviour, you are their Lord, 
and that through the death of Jesus on the cross, you took their sin and you set them free to be your hands and feet in the world. May we learn from Judas. May we learn from Peter. But may we rest in Jesus. We thank you. In Jesus' name.